0: There's a lot of commonality between all these different regulations, Tom, you know, whether it's CCPA, whether it's the EU, the old New York cyber regulations and the other, I think at last count, it's 72 nation privacy regulations around the world. And obviously that's growing on a monthly basis and be a federal US federal privacy regulation coming through in the coming time, in the coming years. So we kind of bundle them all as the same and they all have the same same issue. They they're kind of largely mainstream now in mature markets. And the question is not so much what is the regulations. I think for us it's how organizations determine to interpret and implement against them
1: welcome to the innovation and compliance podcast part of the compliance podcast network join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day more profitably here's your host tom fox hello everyone this is tom fox welcome back for another episode and you're in for a real treat today because i'm in for a real treat today as we're going to visit with peter bauman peter has been in the information governance and data industry for, I'm not going to say how many years, but quite a while. And we're going to have a great discussion about those two disciplines and how they relate to a wide variety of compliance issues. So Peter, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today.
0: It's a pleasure. Good to meet you, Tom.
1: Peter, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background?
0: Yeah, sure. And I'll even talk about how many years it is, Tom. So After a short foray out of school into the electronics, electrical engineering industry, I've spent the bulk of my 30-year business career in information management, information business, both as a a publisher, i.e., creator of content from um, e-learning, rich media, and alike, through to financial services, market data, and market data aggregation, and then also, obviously, as a vendor. And then, of course, as the owner and the manager of this business, as somebody who uses information systems and policies myself, essentially trying to control what all the market has, which is a large amount of of out-of-control, in-the-wild, unstructured data.
1: So, Peter, you've been working with and around information governance for a large part of your professional career. And I was wondering if you might be able to take a look back and tell us how information governance has changed. I was going to ask you from the company perspective, but if that's too narrowed and we need to include governments or other entities as well, what changes are some of the big changes you've seen over the past 20 years or so?
0: Yeah, well, Tom, it's quite interesting. If I go back to the day I left high school, the day I left, was the day that they were shipping in some second-hand IBM mainframe machines. You know the old ones with the disks that used to spin around. I'm not sure if we would call those mainframe. I was the last year at my high school that had no exposure to computers. <laughs> and what was interesting in, in my first few years in the workplace was watching, uh, you know, technology come into the workplace. And so. I did an internship, actually, in Lyon in France. And I remember halfway through that year, the most exciting thing we had were telex and fax machines. And then all of a sudden, there was an Apple Macintosh was delivered. And the whole company stopped. There were like 25 in this head office. And we all stopped and went over and watched the box being opened. Through to my first startup in 1989, we had no systems, no computers, even though we were selling data on CD-ROMs. And we had our first compact 386 delivered and we built, I think it was a DB3 database to to automate mailing lists to customers. And so what I've really seen is this explosion of growth as information's kind of transcended from hard copy paper into its equivalent in electronic. And then what really happened was where we networked the nodes so, you know, when we used to just operate or well, maybe you don't, but when we used to just operate in a single machine, you know no one else had that information. And so it's still relatively well controlled, managed against that individual's knowledge of file share structure, file structure, sorry, maybe taxonomies, they're sophisticated. And then all of a sudden we connected all these machines and those and it all went out of control. That's largely where I think the problem that we're now in began. And so that would be at the advent of the Internet and connecting you know, corporate networks with each other from CC mail to, to external email back in the mid late 90s.
1: When did you start to see not only more professionalism in data governments, but how companies began to see this first as a problem, but then as perhaps an opportunity for greater efficiency in business?
0: As ever, you know, technology spawns a whole industry every so often, doesn't it? And one of the industries, I maybe been a little unfair and unkind to some of the the, the real early entrepreneurs in the space. But when it kind of matured, it became what was broadly known as content management, whether it be enterprise document web content management. They all kind of morphed into the the highest acronym there, which was enterprise content management (ECM) tools. That's when the market, the end the users, if you like, the information workers recognized the need for tools and then the the vendor market started to develop those tools they were pretty you know pretty shaky uh, in the early days and, and still have a lot of issues and challenges because they're not really built around the, uh, the customers requirements but what was driving that in parallel tom i think was the the need in certain industries not least big government maybe defense for uh, this digital explosion to meet their kind of regulations, their regulatory requirements. And a really good example there is something like ITAR, you know, the the export regulation that U.S. governments and and other other friendly nations put on their secrets and, and who you can and can't sell software solutions to, for example. And so I think it was a combination of those things. Certainly from my perspective, I started to see where the market was waking up to how to deal with all this information and those early solutions that helped it.
1: If I could now turn to ActiveNav, and what led you to found the company that you still lead today?
0: There's a long history which I, I won't I won't go through today, but I kind of inherited the shell of what is now known as ActiveNav. And it was through some early work that had taken place at Southampton University in the UK, some kind of early work into hypertext technologies, which was almost you know, the precursor to HTML. When I got involved with this group of very smart people, what was clear was when we took it to customers. And I can remember one particular uh, demo we had within the UK, a Crown Prosecution Service. There was a, a mini amphitheater, and we had been looking at some of their data in the wild, if you like, some of their file shares. And we had pointed our all of that, the, the algorithms. And we came back and presented the results. And the people were blown away. These 30, 40 people from across the country all gathered together in, when we still had in, in place meetings were literally blown away. And the responses were, we had no idea that data was there. We need to remove that immediately. Well, I've been looking for that for months. And what was interesting, Tom, was that it was beyond search. And so people were already quite familiar with the, the concept of search. And there were a bunch of companies, obviously, that were, were developing search. We were taking more of a holistic view, total content, if you like, holistic view of all the content from a bottom up with no prior knowledge and shining a light on it. And it just woke me and my colleagues up to the fact that this is a huge opportunity we didn't appreciate that people really don't know what data they've got and we built a tool that is really fast very low technical footprint and extremely adept at uh, helping this And, and so that was our foundation that was our 101 and then on the back of that of course we built a whole bunch of other modules and capabilities that people could then execute and build workflows around it
1: Peter, I'd now like to turn to what I believe are some very innovative products and services from ActiveNav, and I'd like to specifically focus on two to begin with, data mapping and data classifications. Could you first explain what those are and then perhaps describe the ActiveNav solution for both of those?
0: Yeah, I think they're they're almost use cases. the, The need to do a data map and then the need to classify your data. They're probably more use cases than actual product types, but they, they clearly fall out of what the products can do. And so we have two broad product architectures. One is on-prem, on-premise tools, you know, just installed effectively behind the customer's firewall. And the other one is our SaaS cloud-based solution. Both of them allow the user to discover large amounts of data and very quickly. The cloud solution, of course, lends itself well to a dispersed data estate and repositories it is always going to be faster because it has the additional processing power and isn't reliant on the size of the pipe and the customer side, if you like. And therefore, very helpful for the discovery of sensitive data. And Tom, when I say sensitive data, I'm thinking of personally identifiable information known as PII, toxic data, such as passwords that are scattered and hidden across the network and the broad term of you know dark data. Whilst the on-premise tool although it can do a fine job of those use cases and lots of customers are using for that, it of course provides additional processing from cloud, if you like, and therefore allows you to do deeper classification, the building out of taxonomies of tagging the data inline maybe with Microsoft, you know, MIPS and, and other. And so they complement each other, there's overlapping capabilities, but given their different architecture, They also had some some strengths and benefits depending on the customer's requirements.
1: One of the things that I am asked the most about is EU and UK data privacy regulations. And that's really on the mind of every company, obviously, in the EU and the United Kingdom, but also in the United States if they're doing business in those locations. How does ActiveNav assist clients in not only reducing risks around data, but also staying in compliance with both EU and UK data privacy regulations?
0: Despite so the British accent, I'm obviously based over here in uh, the states just outside of Washington, D.C. And so for us, there's a lot of commonality between all these different regulations, Tom. You know, whether it's CCPA, whether it's the EU, the old New York cyber regulations and the other, I think, at last count, it's 72 nation privacy regulations around the world. And obviously that's growing on a, a monthly basis and be a federal, U.S. federal privacy mm-hmm. regulation coming through. In the coming time and coming years. So we kind of bundle them all as the same, and they all have the same same issue. They're they're kind of largely mainstream now in mature markets. And the question is not so much what is the regulations. I think for us it's how organizations determine to interpret and implement against them. For example, since GDPR came into force in May 2018, millions and possibly billions of Dollars and euros being spent putting the appropriate policies, and workflows in place, largely enabled and driven by the legal consulting kind of marketplace and community. And some privacy platform tools that allow organizations to meet the minimum requirements and, and not these things like subject asset access requests. So when, when somebody has to find all content relating to Tom Fox, they need to have those systems that can prove they've done that. So that's almost maturing as a market. It's a long way from being mature, but it's certainly quite advanced now from where it was just two, three years ago. What we're seeing, though, is no one's really dealing appropriately with the elephant in the room, which is their unstructured data, digital data in the wild. And and that is what we do at ActiveNav.
1: Peter, if I could now turn to how should companies and probably U.S. companies as well be thinking about their data retention policies and data governance to be in compliance with the UK, EU laws, but also those perhaps as disparate as the CCPA and something that the U.S. Congress might pass?
0: Yeah, it's it's an excellent question, Tom. We believe the challenge, and GDPR is quite interesting here. That obviously, they've got many what they call articles, you know, kind of like chapters, articles, what you need to adhere with to comply with GDPR. And the same applies to most privacy regulations. One of those articles is Article 30, and it calls out the need for an inventory of your data estate. And I'll speak carefully here, but I think there's some misinterpretation in the broader market. Some people think that all you need is a map, of where your data resides, i.e. it sits in these systems in these locations, the current our understanding, and I think the inevitable understanding is you, need, you actually need a map of what your data is, what is that data, and what's in it. And until you get there, you're always going to fall short of meeting any of these privacy regulations, because you can't actually say what you've got, where it is, and whether you should have it. And therefore, you're obviously at risk. And so to answer your question, simply, I'd say that organizations, regardless of the regime they're operating under, they need a top-down and a bottom-up approach to their data state. And um, data mapping and the discovery of that will help them achieve it. You can't deal with what you don't know you've got. And so the first thing is data mapping discovery will tell you what you've got and how you're going to deal with it. How should a company
1: think about these issues on a strategic basis? You just talked about a top down and a bottom up approach and how tactically you could begin. But if a, a board of directors or senior management wanted to start trying to think more strategically, where would you uh, have them start?
0: So, the first thing I would suggest is they need to treat their data as they are the best asset in their organization, i.e., their people. And, you know, I think this is really interesting because there's quite a community now that's building up that believes that ultimately you'll find data, you know, appearing on the balance sheet because it's such an asset to businesses. But until it appears on the balance sheet, it's not quite taken as seriously as other assets, such such as a building and kind of physical assets. But if you can treat it with that level of importance, you've got some chance of being able to manage and govern it. And so what does that mean? In, you know pragmatic terms it means that it needs executive visibility and sponsorship it almost certainly needs board ownership and you've got to treat your information management information governance programs not as one-off programs and projects but as new line items on your pnl and they have got to be appropriately funded on an ongoing basis appropriately resourced and appropriately managed appropriately managed and it's only when those things you know become the kind of de facto position the default position will organizations start to manage and govern their data appropriately
1: but in addition to managing the data one of the things i really got from researching ActiveNav and the materials you have on your website is that by managing data you can actually make your business run more efficiently because you have access to that internal information would that be a fair assessment
0: absolutely it's an interesting one because you know you've got a, a variety of different drivers some of them are purely cost you know if you in the old days you say if you just reduce your storage you're going to reduce your cost base now that's become more complicated in cloud but there's quite a significant cost of drawing data back down from the cloud particularly for litigation or other reasons and, and so you immediately win by only storing data that you need to store but the, the kind of more obvious benefits that are driving this market state Tom, are those around risk, risk regulatory, you know, privacy requirements. And so risk of breach is very high, reputational damage as a result of that. And then the costs of remediation post-breach are significant. I think I saw a recent study. It's about $150 per file record that's been breached. Given that it's not unusual to have tens of millions or hundreds of millions of documents breached, for a Fortune 500, you're quickly north of a billion dollars in cost in a breach scenario. But then in absence of cyber risk or breach, you've just got running your business. No one can find the right document, the right version of truth. There's too much out there and everyone keeps sticking band-aids on it. You need to deal with the problem at its source or the, the cancer, if you like, of data, which is you've just got too much of it and you need to control it. And in doing so, all your other systems, processes and, and your workforce become so much more efficient. And So you've got these sticks and, and carrots, and it's largely the sticks that drive this market. But I think as, as the market matures, you'll find that the carrots start to drive. As people see, they can release business value from these hidden assets.
1: Peter, what is unstructured data and what steps can an organization begin to take to eradicate the problem of dark data?
0: I'm not going to give you the the purest definition. In my book, what I say to, to people and customers is your unstructured data is generally the data that sits outside of a database environment. And to the person in the street... That is essentially common files such as email, PowerPoint, Excel, Word, and the other 2,000-odd file types that are kind of banded around and shared across networks that sit outside outside the databases. The very fact it's in the database means you should be able to find that it's kind of structured. There is a piece down the middle, which is semi-structured, which may be free text that sits within a database or partial database environment which you could also argue needs to have the same approach as unstructured but unstructured is that that wild west of your your digital data the kind of path if you like to discovery and eradication or or deletion is the first thing you need to know what you've got as i said earlier so you need to have a solid understanding of what you have, the nature of the content, the extent of it, the size, and where it's located. That's your has to be your start point. You wouldn't really start any other project in life without knowing, first of all, what it is you're trying to deal with. You'd be surprised how that doesn't always happen data. The second thing is minimization. So we, we really love the term data minimization. You know, take take this million files, reduce it down to 100,000, because then you've got some chance of dealing it. You do that through a cleanup of redundant, obsolete, and trivial, known as rot, duplicative data, and of course, records that are beyond their natural retention policies. So most organizations have retention policies. Just adhere to them, and you're going to get massive, massive uh, leaps forward. And then you need to find your sensitive data, understand what it is, encrypt it, delete it, or move it somewhere else. And that gets you to your kind of initial governance baseline, if you like. And then depending on the customer or the organization's requirements, you can then go further into deeper classification, building out more sophisticated classification and inline tagging.
1: Peter, you listed four or five steps that companies could take, but I now wanted to drill down a little bit further and ask you, what are some of the milestones that companies can use to assess to determine if they're on the right path towards both identification and eradication of data?
0: Yeah, I've kind of largely used the same one, to be honest with you, Tom. The first one, you'd say data map. Do we have a data map of all our unstructured assets? Yes or no? No, okay, let's go do it. Once you've got a data map, you're then well-placed to go to the next thing, which is data minimization. So milestone one, data map. Milestone two, minimization. Milestone three, identification, remediation of sensitive information. Milestone four, start turning into real value assets, and then maybe milestone five, automate that governance process. I would be very comfortable at the highest level in using those milestones. Of course, there could be many, many sub-layers depending on the the requirements and the environment you're operating in, but they're, they're a good start point.
1: So how can businesses address the biggest data inventory pain of them all, continual monitoring of dark data once it's identified?
0: Yeah, it's really hard, Tom. And the problem is that most organisations view this as a bit of an episodic kind of thing, a bit like a a puppy at Christmas rather than an ongoing requirement. And so they don't usually build the systems for more than dealing with it on a one-off basis. Now, in our experience where customers get that and they've built it into their business, they do it periodically. So once they've got to a clean state or bill of health, they'll then do maybe weekly, monthly, or even quarterly rediscovery exercises in order they can see the delta of change, which it works, you know, it's better than nothing. It's still quite challenging. And so it's one of the reasons we actually built our, our SaaS cloud solution, because what that provides is an always on single pane glass view, if you like, of all the organization's unstructured data. And so when something changes, when somebody saves, an uncompliant document or file, it's caught very quickly. Now, it doesn't need to be real-time. It doesn't need to be in the seconds. But certainly, it could be throttled to a day, which means that once a day, you would quickly have a dashboard that shows you where you've got these violations of policy. And so what we're trying to do is take all of the experience we've had with the on-prem world and the challenges organizations have in turning this into an automated process and build those into our cloud products. And obviously, we're we're super excited about that. We think it's a complete paradigm shift.
1: We think it changes up information into a real thing and will drive value, not not just the, the risk requirements. You have a great phrase on your website that, frankly, I'd not heard of before. So I have to ask you, what do you mean by zero dark data?
0: I'm kind of glad you've not heard of it because it is our North Star. We have trademarked it, so it's super important to us. Zero dark data. It's a, it's a state that we want all our customers to get to. If you think about it, every, every organization where, where they realize a lot are cultivating its own equivalent of a, a kind of a dark web, a corporate dark web, if you like. It's a place that's dirty, messy, messy, neglected region, you know, full of toxic, pernicious, insidious and opaque digital information. It's largely unstructured and full of risk and work, and kind of largely worthless as well. And so that for us is, is dark data, data, and what we're looking at doing is taking that away. So customers always know what they've got and they can deal with it in a timely fashion and thereby mitigate significantly the risks, but also improve the opportunity of working that data to their advantage.
1: Peter, I'd now like to turn to a few issues in that veiled land of the future. And I'd like to start with, we're recording this in July 2021 in the United States. We're coming out of the first phase or the worst phase of the coronavirus health crisis. Many companies are looking at returning to the office and perhaps have other changes as well. But I was wondering, over the past year, has Companies' approach to data management and information governance changed. Are those the types of questions you got over the past year, or is it really just business as usual from your perspective?
0: It's definitely changed, but it's still quite raw. It's hard to say exactly what's really happened in the market beyond the obvious kind of things. And so I think we need we need more time. And assuming we're out of the worst, you know, the next two three years of be interesting to see how the dust settles. But that said content has become far more fragmented you know it's now stored on local laptops instead of uh, maybe centralized file shares in the workplace as it previously was it's harder to govern in a kind of consistent manner using the the previous you know processes and technology that organizations had and of course the biggest change i'd say is the shift in both you know commercial private and government towards more collaborative-based tools, applications, repositories, such as Microsoft Teams and, of course, Slack. And those tools don't really have the appropriate you know, mechanisms built in yet and, and organizations the process and policy to, to ensure that they're complying with governance. And so those are, they're getting pretty red hot, I'd say, in the litigation world from an e-discovery perspective. What is sitting within those kind of collaborative chat rooms? So that's certainly something we're seeing. And we've seen a demand there with our cloud product to, to build a lot of uh, early connectivity into those those environments to help organizations, you know, try and regain control there. Time will tell, Tom, but those are the first things we're seeing. It's definitely different. Cloud, it's only accelerated things such as cloud.
1: And inevitably, you're waiting for kind of, regulatory elements of the market to, to play some catch up. So what do you advise companies around thinking about 2025 and perhaps even beyond in information governance and data management? What's down the road?
0: The privacy regulations are only going to get you know, more defined, more stringent, and above all, get more teeth. And that's really important. They're not going to go away. Expect to see penalties and fines, you know, start to drift down from the, the blue chips, you know, the, the Facebooks, the the Googles, the, the one that regulators have gone after, regulatory bodies have gone after first, to start drifting down to the mid-market and eventually smaller businesses. And, and I think what's really interesting there is that ignorance and the lack of policy systems and, and preemptive planning won't. Be tolerated as an excuse by the courts. I think I think that's really important. Oh, we didn't know we had that data. Just won't work anymore because the tools are out there. The experience and tools are out there to ensure that you do. Inevitably, you know, you're going to see this continuing explosion in growth of data, and organisations are going to continue to seek visibility of it, and of course, a single source of truth. You don't need 50 versions of. of documents you need to know which is the real version and you know that that's the only one that is legally binding and so data visibility continues to be a blind spot for most organizations and we just see a growth in in our space if you like of discovery classification the ability to scan for sensitive data in all environments whether it be on-prem or cloud and provide that single source of truth and we're Tremendously excited about it, even though it's a, it's a hell of a challenge for organizations and
1: for vendors alike. Peter, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But I wanted to ask you if listeners wanted more information about yourself or really any of the topics we've talked about in today's podcast or ActiveNav, what would be the best place for them to go to?
0: Oh, clearly, it'd be our website, which is ActiveNav.com. That's A-C-T-I-V-E-N-A-V.com. What's quite nice about that site is we've got a whole bunch of podcasts with uh, customers, market experts, partners and the like, where even if you're not interested in our solutions, you can can get a really good education on what's going on out there.
1: Well, Peter, this has been a fascinating exploration of a topic that I think every compliance practitioner needs to learn quite a bit more about. In addition to your direct customer base, I see a lot of applications for this in the compliance world. And I hope that perhaps six months or 12 months down the line, I might be able to call upon you again to see where we are at that
0: time. Tom, that would be absolutely pleasure. I'll have a better answer for post-COVID as well by then, hopefully.
1: <laughs> if you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.